0: Lord Jesus, our hearts can sing no other name but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you are high and exalted today at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And we exalt you, Lord Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lamb of God who is slain for our sins at Calvary, who rose from the grave, and who is seated today at the right hand of the Father. Lord Jesus, we want more of you and less of us. We want more of your word and less of the world. God, fill us today. Renew our hearts and minds as we worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Be exalted in our worship. Be exalted in our fellowship. And Be exalted in our teaching as we study your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So we're continuing this morning in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. Now, many people are intimidated by the book of Revelation, but we are not intimidated by it. You know, many people say it's a hard book to study. I don't think it is a hard book to study. It's not a hard book to study unless unless you're reading it really fast. But if you take your time... Methodically work your way through the book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. There's there's a few questions out there. There's a few things we may may not be able to understand. But I think you can get the meat of the book when you study it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So this morning we are in uh, Revelation chapter 10. You can turn in your Bibles or you can also follow me on the screen. So let's read Revelation chapter 10 verses 1 through 7 and see what direction god's word is taking us this morning in our verse by verse study revelation chapter 10 verse 1 i saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire and he had in his hand a little book which was open he placed he placed his right foot on the sea and is left on the land and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars and when he had cried out the seven pills of thunder uttered their voices when the seven pills of thunder had spoken I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying seal up the things which the seven pills of thunder have spoken and do not write them verse 5 then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it that there will be delay no longer in verse 7 but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he had poured when he was about to sound then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants the prophets father god in heaven thank you lord for your word this morning and father as we study these 11 verses this morning i pray god that you teach us more about who you are, more about your character, more about your plan for the future. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. So the title of my teaching this morning is the title, the subject matter of of the chapter, which is The Angel, The Seven Thunders, and The Little Book. How important is it to understand angels? How important is it to have a good, solid theology of angels, you know. Growing up, I remember my grandma's mantelpiece in Augusta. She had this little white angel sitting on the mantelpiece, and that was the picture I had in my mind of what angels were like. But the more I study the scriptures, the more I study the Word of God, I'm like, that's not what angels look like. That's not a good representation of angels. You know, angels, you have seraphims, you have cherubims. Cherubims are angels that are in heaven. They surround the throne and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then you have seraphims. That word seraphim means the fiery ones. Those are ones who are sent out on mission from God to do his deeds and his plans on the earth. Then you have arch- archangels, Michael the archangel. He's the chief of all the angels. But it's, I think it's very important, to answer the question, it's very important that we understand who and what angels are. Angels are mentioned 210 times in the Old Testament, 80 times in the New Testament. Angels guarded the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. God used angels to spare Isaac on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, I believe. Angels ministered to Jesus after his temptation in Matthew chapter 4. Angels ministered to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22. Angels delivered Peter from prison in Acts chapter 12. And I'm here to tell you, family, the ministry of angels has not ended. It's still in effect today because Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation? So angels have a ministry today and their their job from the Lord is to minister to us. I think they lead us, they guide us, they direct us, they push us, they open doors in our pursuit of Christ and our pursuit of serving the Lord. Angels are here to minister to us today. Angels are obedient messengers who execute the plans and the purposes of God. And this morning, right slap dab in the middle of the great tribulation, Revelation chapter 10, we had this mighty angel. Eleven verses... In chapter 10, this angel is mentioned 19 times. In 9 of the 11 verses, the subject of Revelation chapter 10 is angels. So y'all ready to dive into it? Let's do it. Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Verse 2, and he had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. So right here in the middle of the great tribulation, we ha- God gives us a reminder of how great and how powerful and how mighty angels truly are. In those two verses, I counted seven descriptions. Seven descriptions of angels. That we need to understand in our theology and our understanding of who angels are. The first one is found in verse one. He says, "I saw another strong angel." That word "strong" means magnificent. It means huge. It means intimidating in appearance. Now, listen. This ain't some angel standing on the beach with his toe, one toes in, you know, one foot in the sand, one foot in the surf. Okay. The picture of the angel being pictured here. This angel has got one foot on a continent and the other foot on the ocean. This is huge. Now, if, you, if you've been with us for a while, we've, we were looking at the 144,000 Jews. This had to be a tremendous encouragement. What did we look at last Sunday? When all hell breaks loose. That's what we looked at in the last Chapter. Man, it's a tough time during the Great Tribulation. So this angel is showing up right at the right moment during the Great Tribulation to encourage the believers. This angel is is huge. And he he represents God's sovereignty, God's power. In this dark hour, it had to give them great encouragement. The second thing. In verse 1, it says he's clothed with a cloud. He's clothed with a cloud, meaning he's heavenly, meaning that angels are from, are from above. Angels are messengers from God, from heaven above, sent out to do his work from above, from above the clouds, from above the universe in that place called the third heaven. The third thing there, it says a rainbow, a rainbow was upon his head. This speaks of his beauty. Now, when you think a rainbow, we think of the, what do we think of? The rainbow. But the Greek word here for rainbow is actually iris. If you look it up, the word that is translated in most of our Bibles, rainbows, is iris. And each and every one of us has two irises. And they say that one of the most beautiful parts of every human being is the eyes. When you look into someone's eyes, you have a pupil in the middle, and then around that pupil is your iris. And that's what, that's what makes up the beauty of the eye, the, the, the iris. And that's the actual word that's being used here. So this speaks of the angel's beauty, his majestic beauty. Um, second, fourthly, number four, his face was like the sun. This speaks of the blazing glory of God. His face, this, angelic, this angel's face, is like a bright, blinding, shining light. It's like, whoa, just to to be able to see them from the natural, from the supernatural realm to in the natural realm. It was like, whoa, this bright, blinding light is coming from this angel's face. So I'm, I'm, I'm painting a theological picture in your minds this morning of what angels are like. It says, His feet are like pillars of fire. Where do angels stand in heaven? They stand in the holy presence of God. The angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That, that word holy means to be separate, uh, sanctified, set apart. There's this purity in heaven. There's this blazing glory and holiness in heaven. And it just radiates all over the angels as they are worshiping the Lord. And then it says, um, verse 2, it says he has a little book. Now, what is this little book? If you go back to Revelation chapter 5, We learn that the books and the scrolls in the book of Revelation are the written record of God's judgments in in the world. So, this little book represents God's judgments that are coming upon the earth. And notice it says at the end of verse 2, which I kind of mentioned this a while ago, it says, He placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. This is huge. This is big. And this is exactly what the tribulation saints needed in this darkest hour, in this difficult time, is this overwhelming, huge angel with one foot on the land on the continent and the other foot on the sea to encourage them and lift them up. Shows you how big and how powerful he is. When you put all these together, how strong he is, his beauty, his blazing glory, you put all these together, these, these, this angel represents God's power. God's presence, God's authority, and God's sovereignty, even in the dark hour of the great tribulation. And again, this is exactly, this is what I believe, based on the past two chapters we've studied, this is exactly what they needed during the great tribulation, the dark hour when all hell is breaking loose and the seals and the judgments are being poured out and the wrath is being poured out and you got the 144 Jewish evangelists and some tribulation saints that are going throughout the world evangelizing. There's this huge angel that encourages them. Now, let's look at his purpose. His purpose, this angel's purpose, is in verse 3. It says, He cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven pills of thunder uttered their verse. So let's look at this. Let's write this down. Verse 3. He cried out with a loud voice so he's got a loud voice as when a lion roars. Now, I don't how many of you guys ever been to Africa? You might have been to Africa, been out on the the, the safaris of, of the plains of Africa and seen the lions. When a lion roars across the African plain, it is the most iconic sound in the African bush. No, Pastor David has not been there. But I've watched, I watched a lot of videos, and many of you guys know, I've talked about this in the past, how I love watching animal kingdom. I love watching the lions and the tigers and all the, all the animals in the world. But when a lion roars, it is said uh, on a quiet night on the African spark, when a lion roars, it can be heard from five miles in every direction. Okay? They are loud. They are loud. And a lion roars to defend his territory. Think about this now. John is using the illustration of a lion roaring to talk about this angel, okay? Lions are lions. So what do we learn about lions? They defend their territory. They let all the lesser animals know that the king is in the area, okay? And you don't mess with the king because you will get ripped to pieces, okay? A lion, a lion is not scared. A lion is not shy. He is not timid. He is bold. He just lays out there and bakes in the sun. And and he's not scared of no creature out there because he is the king of the jungle. What can you and I learn from the lion? What can we learn from this angel that's here and he roars like a lion? What can we learn in our everyday walk that we need to roar like a lion with our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we can learn. We need to be bold as a lion. But unfortunately, in many cases, we find ourselves scared, timid, and weak in our witness. Friends and family, can I just encourage you this morning? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Paul said in Romans 1:16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know, let's let's be bold as a lion. Let's be bold like this angel and let's proclaim the gospel with authority just like a roaring lion, okay? Cuz it is the message of salvation. You know, there's the, the Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There's no other name given under heaven by, wh- by which men must be saved but at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way that man can find forgiveness of sin. And let's never be ashamed of that. He is, he is forgiving you of all your sins. He's given you a new life in Christ. There's nothing to, to be ashamed of. Nothing. So let's, let's be Bold like a lion. And then notice the second half of verse 3. I said well, we were going to talk about the angel, and then my message title, we were going to talk about the thunders. And this is where I got that from the second half of verse 3, where it says, And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voice. Now, there is some discussion in theological circles as to whose voice is speaking, but we know because of God's sovereignty. And God is in control, ultimately we know that He is behind these voices. Now whether it's the thunder speaking or whether it's the Lord speaking is thunderous. That's what the, the point I'm trying to drive across is thunderous. and it's interesting. God's voice is described as being thunderous in Psalm 29. So I want to take you there. Psalm 29 verses three through nine. And what we're looking at is the voice of the Lord is thunderous. And I want to ask you this morning, are you listening? Are your ears open? Okay, our ears need to be open. His voice is thundering across the earth right now. But the question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Some people say, well, that's just your religion. You know, that's, that's just what you believe. No, he is, he is roaring like a lion today, family. And I'm going I'm to show it to you in the text. He's roaring like a lion, and his voice can be heard. The question is are we listening? In Psalm chapter 29, verses 3 through 9, King David talks about the thunderous voice of the Lord. He uses this phrase seven times, I, I bolded them for you. Uh, Psalm 29, verse 3 says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. What's he talking about right there? He's talking about God speaks in creation. God speaks in creation. And Psalms, uh, Psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. If we will just quiet our hearts and push out all the noise of the world creation speaks of his beauty from the clouds to the blue sky to the sun to the earth to everything to the roar of the oceans i've crossed the atlantic three times by ship there's a lot of water out there okay that's that's an understatement there's there's a lot of i've crossed it three times by ship and once by air to get back and it is a lot of water but let me tell you something It is majestic and beautiful. I'll never forget when I was in the Navy, our skipper came over. Hey, guys, we're right slap dab in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I went up there on the flight deck and I looked around. It's just blue water in every direction. It's just an amazing thing to see. That is God's power and God's glory and his witness to the world of his creation. Verse 4 of Psalms 29 says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. He breaks the chains. The voice of the Lord is powerful, meaning it breaks the chains. The voice of the Lord from preaching and teaching, the voice of the Lord from the scriptures, the prophetic voice of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Lord is meant to break the chains of sin and to set us free, okay, to liberate us from the bondage of sin. It's powerful. It breaks the chains, of the end of verse 4, the voice of the Lord is majestic. That word majestic. What is it? What, what comes to your mind when you hear the word majestic? I, my mind, beautiful. Beautiful. It, 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 it conveys the thought of something being beautiful. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, John describes Jesus' voice like a rushing water. And we all love waterfalls, but God's voice is beautiful. It's beautiful and it's encouraging when we hear it from the text of Scripture, when the Lord leads us and guides us. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young ox. If you go to Isaiah, you don't have to turn there, but just make a note of it. If you go to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, the cedars of Lebanon, we are told, are a symbol of pride. Are a symbol of pride of uh, pride and the voice of the Lord breaks man's pride. Okay? He he breaks his pride. The the, the message of the cross humbles man. The the the, the authority of scripture it, it humbles us. It causes us to bow our knee in submission. Paul said in Philippians every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You you don't have a choice. I don't have a choice The world doesn't have a choice. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because he breaks the cedars. He breaks the pride in us. You know, um, I just think about all the pride I came to, the pride I brought to Christ when I first got saved. He crushed it. He crushed it at my salvation. He crushed it through discipleship. And he, he gave me a humble heart that loves people. And he does that. The voice of the Lord, verse 7, he hews out flames of fire. Uh, Some of your translations say he hews out lightning. He hews out lightning. Now, how many of you guys have ever been maybe late at night and there's a thunderstorm and a strike of lightning hits close to the house? What do you do? Boom! You're like, whoa, what was that? It commands your attention. It scares the living daylights out of you. And you go run for mom or you go run for your family when you hear that lightning strike back. But the thing is, is when we hear the voice of the Lord, it should command our attention in the same way. The voice of the Lord has spoken through teaching, through scripture. He, he, he speaks and it should command our attention in the same way a bolt of lightning commands our attention when it scares the living daylights out of us. And then verse 9 The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calf and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. God's voice shakes the foundation of the world. And to all of this passage, I say this. God is not silent. Okay? God is not silent in this world. He is proclaiming his truth. Through Christians, through churches, through pastors, through scripture, through creation, through your mom, your dad, our witness. He is moving mightily, even in our day to day. All we have to do is open up our heart and listen with our spiritual ears and listen to his voice. he's, he's, He's roaring, he is thundering, he is thundering, family. So we need to remember that. The voice of God, it thunders from heaven. Verse 3. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, And when the seven pills of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven pills of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Now, I just find this interesting. I mean, this this just shows you the authenticity of Scripture, okay? That he's not just making this up. John's being real here. John is preparing to write down what he hears, but God says to him, no, stop. Don't write it down. So what do we learn from that? I I believe you can learn from every verse in the Bible. I believe every verse is a a sermon. What do we learn from verse four? That he tells him not to write it down. Here's what we learn in verse four. This teaches you and I that we don't know everything. That we don't know everything. We don't know everything there is to know about the future, okay? I don't have all my eschatology completely figured out, okay? You know, I'm a pre-trib, believing in, in, in the position of the rapture of the church. But, but I hold it in a spirit of grace. I, hear to, I hold it in a spirit of grace and truth. I got my mid-trib brothers. I got my post-trib brothers. I got my pre rath brothers. There's all kind of eschatology, eschatological views concerning the last days. But I hold them in a spirit of grace, okay? I hold him in spirit of grace because you and I don't know everything. I heard one preacher say one time, he said that uh, he, said he is pan when it comes to the position of the rapture. It'll all pan out. Jesus Christ is coming back again. But family, this is where faith comes in. Faith comes in and says, Lord, I don't understand everything that's happening. and Maybe I don't understand everything I see in eschatology. But this, this is Lord Jesus where I say, I trust you. I trust you, Lord with all my heart one of the most prideful and arrogant things in the church is for someone to have an attitude that thinks they know it all or they've got it all completely figured out and anybody who disagrees with that is wrong that's a very prideful and arrogant attitude to have there's certain areas of scripture that are, that are, that are challenging for us to get our minds wrapped around one of them being this eschatology you know I'm a pre-trib you know if Charlie over there is, is a mid-trib you know, and, and Bud's a post-trip. God bless you, brothers. Let's have some good discussion. Let's talk about it. And one day, you know, y- you think I'm wrong. But guess what? I think you're wrong. So we're all together. We're all in this together. One day we'll, we'll get it all figured out. But we need to hold it in the spirit of grace. And, and he tells John here, don't write these things down. Verse five, verse 5, Revelation chapter 10. It says, Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven. I could just see the tribulation saints and the 144,000 Jews. Whoa, check this out. Not only has the angel got one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, but now he's raising his right hand. What is fixing to happen? Is he fixing to smack the ocean and cause tidal waves? Is he fixing to bring everything to an end? What's, 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 what's taking place here? He's raising his right hand, this angel, is raising his right hand to, to signify a testimony, a statement, a witness to truth in those in the world. This angel, because I've read ahead, I've read ahead this the rest of the chapter and the next chapter. The angel in the great tribulation is holding up his right hand. He's testifying that everything in the book of Revelation will come to pass. It's a testimony. Think about it when you go to MEPS, if you've been in the military. What do you go in there You raise your right hand, and you promise to defend the Constitution of the United States and the orders of the President of the United States, and and, and you commit, make a firm commitment to do what you're going to do, what is written. So I think it's the same thing here with this angel. He's testifying that everything that we see in the book of Revelation will come to pass. Or as Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. It will come to pass. Verse 6. Verse 6 says, And I swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, and there will be delay no longer. So what's going on here now in verse 6? This massive angelic being is is calling creation as his witness. He's calling creation as his witness. As surely as... Creation is the evidence of of God's majestic hand in creating the world, so will these things take place. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, scripture says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. You know what? To understand that God created the world, all I need is a mind that can think and look around me, and I see his evidence everywhere. It doesn't happen by chance. You did not come from some primordial ooze and some big bang explosion. His evidence is in the universe. His evidence is in our DNA. His evidence is in the world. His evidence is everywhere. Just next time when you wake up tomorrow morning and you're brushing your teeth, just look in the mirror and look at these two eyes and there are the six billion light-sensitive cells that make up the human eye and this nose and these ears and this mouth and, and the human body. It's an amazing, complex creation. And then look at the sun that's 900 million miles away and look at the sunlight. just a little bit closer, we burn up. A little further away, we freeze to death. His evidence is all around us. And, you know, in heaven, in heaven with the angels, there is no doubt. There's no doubt who created the heavens and the earth. There really is no doubt here on earth. It's just truth and ignorance. Because if we, if we will look at it and look at creation with an open mind, we'll see his handiwork. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this angel during the great tribulation is Because the the tribulation saints and the 144,000, they're worn out. Uh, They're they're warriors. They're fighters. And they needed this encouragement. And the angel is swearing by heaven to the Lord. And he's testifying according to creation that, hey, guys, stay the course. This seven-year period will end. Christ will come again at his second coming. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Now, the obvious question when we get to verse 7 is, what is the mystery of God? And it is the plan of salvation. It is the plan of redemption. Listen to Romans chapter 16, verse 25, says... Paul ends his letter to the Romans with this, says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past. The mystery, when you look at the New Testament mystery and you get into the epistles, one of the mysteries is the church. One of the mysteries is the church. In the Old Testament, they didn't see this church age coming. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, they thought he was just going to set up and establish his kingdom. And he was going to rule and reign. They did not see the church age. They rejected uh, the, the, the Israel, rejected the Messiah. So what God did in his grace, he put them on the shelf, according to Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. And we're having the church age, okay? But during the Great Tribulation, he's going to turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. So the mystery is the culmination of the gospel. It's it's bringing it to a head. It's bringing it to a close, the the, the gospel message and salvation for planet Earth. Verse 8, we'll go through verses 8 and 9. It says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. You know, back in Revelation chapter 4, we saw where John was taken up to heaven, but it appears now that John is, God's got John back here on the earth, um, and he's going to go to this angel. In verse 9, he says, So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. You know, I could just hear the angel saying, Hey, can you say please? <laughs> you know, like this is, think about this angel now. You got this massive, colossal angel with one foot on the ocean, one foot on the ground, and little peon John says, hey, give me the book. I think I'd be like, please, <laughs> give me the book. But he said to me, he says, he says to me, um, and this is a very intimate moment. This is a very intimate moment where God is communicating to John the brevity of what has taken place on the earth. Halfway through verse 9, he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. In this passage here, God is wanting John, the apostle, to experience what is written in the book of Revelation. This little book that's in the angel's hands, if you go back to Revelation chapter 5, where it talks about the, uh, the sealed judgments, this little book is the judgments of God. This little book is the word of God. This little book that this angel has is the truth of God. It is both bitter, the word of God, the judgments in the word of God is both bitter and sweet, family. That's what we need to understand from this little portion of text, that the word of God is bitter and sweet. It's sweet. I, I don't know about you, but I like sweets. I like chocolate. I like things that taste good. And sometimes I overindulge myself. But how is the word of God sweet? The word of God is sweet because it brings salvation. The word of God is sweet and delicious and yummy. And we like it because it brings righteousness. It brings joy. It brings peace. It brings happiness. It brings a a settled mind. A tranquil heart. And, and it's joyful, and it's, it's so sweet that it's just a, it's amazing. But family, the Word of God is also bitter. Okay? This, the Word of God is also bitter. It's bitter in that it informs us of future judgments. That It, it informs us, the Word of God is bitter, because it tells us that we will be held accountable for our actions and our choices, okay? So it's sweet, it's comforting, and, it, and at times it's bitter because it holds our feet to the fire. You know, there's, there, I want you to come to Calvary Chapel Irmo and leave here with joy and happiness and go out of here with a skip and a beat because it was an amazing message that lifted you up. And we're going to have some Sundays like that. But some Sundays you're going to leave here you're going to be like, I can't believe he said that. not dare him. Because sometimes the word of God is bitter. And sometimes our feet need to be stepped on. Our toes need to be stepped on. And we need a wake up call. So as sweet and it's bitter, and you need to understand that it's bitter and sweet. If all your favorite Bible teacher talks about is love, joy, and peace, and there is no teaching on judgment, or no command to repent, you might want to reconsider who you're listening to. Find someone who will teach you, find a ministry that will teach you the whole counsel of God, okay? We, we study the, the sweet parts that are yummy and fill our hearts, but then we also study the difficult parts, so that our theology of God and His Word is solid, sound, and complete, and we understand everything there is to understand about the Lord. So we need all of those. But here, John, man, is he, he's given him a taste. He's given him a taste of what is to come. And let's look. Let's look at what he says in verse ten. He says, "I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it." So he takes the little book. From the angel's hand, the angel gives it to him. And in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. Like, oh man, this is good. The word of God, the judgments of God. This is good. This is true. This is awesome. This is amazing. But then halfway through verse 10, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. My stomach was made bitter. So John is experiencing the full circle of, of God's word, the full circle of God's judgment and that it's sweet and, and, that, and that it's bitter. You know, something, something that makes my stomach bitter, something that hurts my heart, something that will cause me to lose sleep at night is when a loved one, a friend, or a neighbor who has heard the gospel but is not saved, that tears my stomach up. It tears me up. When someone says no, rejects, don't, don't give me that garbage. You know, don't, they don't want to have nothing to do with Christ. It tears me up because I know if they don't put their trust in Christ, I am looking in the face of someone who will perish on Judgment Day. And that makes me sick to my stomach. I want all people to know the love of Jesus. I want all people to know the love of Christ. And I want to see as many people as I can in heaven. I want, and it will bring me great joy. That's why when I see someone, I hear someone getting saved, surrendering their life to Christ. Oh, it's like joy and like music to my soul to see someone come to the Lord. But when they reject it, I'm like, you know, why? Why would you reject such a kind offer? He offers you forgiveness of sin. He offers you your Holy Spirit. But, but that's the the struggle of sin in the world. That's the struggle of spiritual warfare in the world is that Satan tries to keep people from coming to understand the truth of the gospel. Let's finish it up. Verse 11, he says, And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many people and nations and tongues and kings. Uh, When the Bible was written, it didn't have chapters and numbers. And what he's referring to is Revelation chapter 11, which we'll get into that next week. But in essence, he's saying there, there's more to come. I have more descriptions to give you as we get into next week and, and we, we talk about the, the two witnesses and the, the hell that's going to take place in the spiritual warfare. But in closing of my teaching on, on Revelation chapter 10, the angel in the little book, the angel is this magnificent being with one foot on the on the uh, oceans, one foot on the land? The thunders are, are, are the the voice of God, and the uh, and the little book is the account is the written accounts of the judgments in the Book of Revelation, and the, the the angel testifies is going to testify to them in the future in the Great Tribulation, and he testifies to you and I today. three things. One, the Bible, the Word of God, Scripture, is both bitter and sweet. Okay? let's, Let's get our hearts and let's get our minds wrapped around everything the Scripture says so we can be a whole Christian. The whole Bible for a whole Christian. Secondly, God's voice thunders in our life from every direction. If we'll drown out the noise, push out the voices of the world and the quietness of our soul, hear His voice in creation and hear his voice as we study the word of God. And finally, God's judgments are true and just and right. He is faithful. Imagine a criminal guilty in a court of law and the judge just lets him go. Wait a minute, that's 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 kinda happening in some some parts of the world they no. But but think about it though. What would you think of a judge who let a criminal go without paying the price? you would think that's a corrupt judge. You would think that's a corrupt judge. But because God is not corrupt, and God is good, and God is just, he will hold all people accountable for their actions and for their deeds. And then when you look at the book of Revelation, some people get scared of the book of Revelation. I don't see nothing to be scared about unless you're not a believer. But the, the, when you look at the... Um, the judgments in the book of Revelation, all of this can be avoided by one way. You don't have to worry about, none, you don't have to worry about this. We can just be studying it and knowing that's going to happen in the future. It, it can be avoided one way. There's one way only. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends and family and everyone listening online, the big question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have this personal relationship with him where he's come into your life you know, there's three words that describe salvation. One is you ask for forgiveness. You know, you repent. You turn from sin. Two is faith. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, to all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. You say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. If you have done those, those three, that's, that's the three different angles that scripture gives us on salvation. If you've done that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul said in Thessalonians, he says, Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. And most importantly, you'll get to spend eternity with him in heaven. Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not have you started going to church, not have you started giving money or anything, but have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's you doing those three things and then saying, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I'm living for you. And I want to have this living, abiding relationship with you. That's the essence of the Christian life. It's so simple that my my children understand it. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is you not trusting in yourself, but trusting in Jesus for salvation. If you have not done that, let today be the day of salvation. Pray that prayer God, please forgive me of my sin. I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. Please come into my life. And if you do that, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Walk in his grace, walk in his truth, and walk in his love. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the study of Revelation chapter 10 this morning. Lord, we learn so much about what's going to take place in the great tribulation, but also this magnificent angel that's going to encourage the tribulation saints, that's going to encourage the 144,000. Lord, I pray this morning by your Holy Spirit, you would encourage us in our walk with you, that we would love you, that we would trust you, and that you would be roaring like a lion. On the inside of our hearts as we serve you all the days of our life. The of Jesus' is mighty name I pray, for you.